This is Real Housewives of the Kingdom, a sweet space where you'll hear from the hearts of fellow housewives in the kingdom of God, some just like you and some really different in various walks of life. We will talk about how God is walking with us through the good and the hard. I pray you'll be encouraged and entertained as we laugh and sometimes cry together. Most of all, I hope it reminds you we're in this together and you are not alone. Today, I'm chatting with Jen Tomasic, who is a sweet friend. We both worked at Disneyland together as dancers in various shows and parades. Jen loves the Lord and is a firewife and mama of two. She's currently a makeup artist for Disney events. She shares her heart and story with us today, talking about body image and how it impacts us through various seasons of life. From awkward teenage years to what it's like to bury your midriff in front of hundreds of thousands of people a day, to medical emergencies, changing hormones, and body changes as we move into different phases of life. She has some great nuggets of wisdom that God has shown her over the years, so much so that this episode will be cut into two parts, because I just didn't want to cut anything out that we talked about. Part two will air next week. I know you'll be so encouraged by our conversation. Small note before we begin. While we don't get super graphic, we do discuss having babies, sex in marriage, insecurities, and struggles that surround having a very large chest, as well as details from her medical emergency and surgery. So if your little ones are with you, I'd pop in your headphones or maybe just listen a different time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Real Housewives of the Kingdom. I am so excited for you to meet my guest for today. She is a very dear friend of mine, and actually, she was my husband's friend first, uh, but as soon as I came into the picture, she adopted me in as friend and family, and so I just love her, and I am going to let her introduce herself. Welcome, Jen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, My name is... Jen Thomasic. Um, and truth be told, yes, I was, was his name Kevin? I think. Yeah. <laughs> I was Kevin's friend first, but then Caroline stole my heart and it was like BFFs forever. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Even though that was your Halloween costume when I met you, but was okay. yes. I, I stole you. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to be here and I'm so privileged and honored to be able to speak to you guys today and um, to visit with Caroline. We just got to see each other you know, recently when I came out to Florida with my family and it's just, it's made me long for this friendship that I miss so much because mm-hmm. you're now on the East coast. But <laughs> anyway, I live in, I live in Orange County in California. So I'm all the way on the other side of the coast and, um, I'm a makeup artist and a mom. Uh, I mean, I'm a literal soccer mom and <laughs> <laughs> all that goes with it. Um, and I'm married to a firefighter, so I have a very busy life where I'm basically like a married single person. Hooray! <laughs> yeah, firewives, it's so crazy. If people don't understand, I mean, when your husband is working, he's gone all day, all night for yeah, well, several days. days. And, and if there's and- a strike team, it's 21 days. It's like, <sighs> yeah. Which Ooh. if, and if you live in Southern California, that happens all the time. All the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> the wildfires. Constantly burning. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. yes. And the pee in a pod thing that she's talking about, I'm just going to comment about it. Cause I even like, I have a photo in my house, in my hallway from that party. Yeah. Um, it was one of the first Disney events. So my husband and Jen worked at Disneyland together. That's how they knew each other. And then when I started working there is, um, no, I guess I might've even been before I started working there that your party was, I think. Yeah. But anyway, Kevin brought me along to this party so I could meet his friends. It was a Halloween party and we didn't have Halloween costumes. And so we literally stopped by pick and save 
um, and picked up matching flannel pajamas that had these two, they were bright yellow with these two little peas inside of a pod. And it was a girl pea and a boy pea together in the pod. And we wore those pajamas <laughs> to their Christmas or to their it Halloween party. So cute. <laughs> and that was the first day that I met Jen. And um, it was. And that tells yeah. you just by the fact that you sh- merely said pick and save, that tells you how long ago it was. Because now it's big loss and it has been. Yes. Nobody knows pick and save anymore. <laughs> no, I know. I still, every time I see big lots, like pick and save is pick always. Pick and save, always, always, yes. always, always. Yeah. So, Forever today. Yeah. So that is how we met. And another one of the things that we both have in common is we uh, love Jesus. We walk with the Lord. And uh, that is something that, so not only did we all have in common working at Disney and my husband in common, but we all have that faith. And so that is something else that has really bonded us because iron sharpens iron, as you all know. So today I'm having Jen on the show. We are talking about body image, as you know, this month. And um, so I wanted to chat with her. Me being a performer and her being a performer, we've definitely had an interesting view on body image from just kind of having a scrutinizing eye from the time you're small on your body is a very different thing than even I think your average person who maybe doesn't have that. So I think it's a really interesting perspective to have uh, and to see and to hear. So I'm really excited. And um, also kind of, we're just going to talk about the transitions through life and how that affects us just because you're young and you're really fit doesn't mean you always stay that way. And life throws your curveballs, but God, So anyway, (laughs) so that is in a nutshell what we're going to talk about. We are going to dive into the conversation. I want to first ask you about, did you perform growing up? I actually didn't. Oh, okay. My first real, I mean, I, the only performances that I did was like basic cheer in high school. That was it. Okay. Song Squad. No, I, I lived in a real small town. Um, and at the time they didn't really have dance classes. My parents worked full time and they weren't able to get us to and from, and there was four of us. So mm-hmm. it was, it was quite difficult for us. So literally my friend's, um, yard, my friend's yards, um, anything that was on MTV, we would just duplicate and mm-hmm. try to, you know, emulate. And we picked it up as we went along. Um, I remember watching the 1984 Olympics and, mm-hmm you know, Mary Lou Retton when she won. And I was just like, I'm going to be a gymnast. And I wanted to be a gymnast. And so I started to tumble and, you know, do that. And that was my basic performing was to put on shows for my family. That's awesome. I love that. Well, even though I did do ballet and acrobatics growing up, I still put on shows for my family too. So, Absolutely. And I my mean, dog. Yeah, in your room by yourself. Yeah. It's where you your yeah. start. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So you weren't a performer per se growing up, but you were a cheerleader. I'm yeah. sure that has some type of focus on your body a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, we had a, I actually encountered a really amazing, um, it was during our PE time during school, um, that, that I took dance, you know, Mm -hmm. that would be my like dance lessons, but it was a PE class taught by a woman who really wasn't like a full-time teacher, you know, she just, or a dance instructor, but she was amazing. And her name was Holly Romero and I loved her. Mm -hmm. And, um, she, you know, actually thinking back, she may have been an accredited dance teacher, but I don't recall that (laughs) she was always a PE teacher. So she never taught anywhere else. So 
Um, but she challenged us um, often to find music that moved you and find something that inspired you and go with mm-hmm. it. She would give us an opportunity to attend, you know, different dance conventions back in the mm-hmm. 90s when it was a really big oh, thing cool. like from Maine and things like that. So as soon as I got into high school, I made this, I made the JV cheer squad first. Then mm-hmm. I felt like, okay, this is something I can do. Okay. Keep in mind, I was an introvert. I know that is so hard to believe, but I was an introvert. I had glasses, braces, the whole gamut. So not only did I have like body image issues going on for me, but I also had like severe self-esteem issues, right? Wow. But the one thing I knew I loved to do was to dance and to perform. Mm -hmm. And I was always comparing myself to other women because they all grew up in that area at the local dance studio, tap dancing, ballet, jazz. So when I got into, um, into the cheer squad, I kind of just went for it, you know, and I, I ended up making the JV cheer team. And then the following year I made the varsity squad, but then I made the varsity song squad. And that was about the dancing. That was more mm-hmm. dancing than yeah. and growing because I was always the base. Cause I was the tallest and kind of like the girthiest girl out there. And, you mm-hmm. know, I was just like, Oh yeah, I could lift you up and Hercules you up in the air. So yeah. That was fun. Did that give you more confidence when you made the cheer squad? Did you feel like you kind of gained confidence with that? It did. Um, it did until, you know, you get some of the girls who were from the other, you know, side of the tracks, I always call it, you know, because yeah. they were from the very privileged lifestyle where they lived in, you know, a gated community and lived, you know, mm-hmm. posh life. And until they started seeing that I was, you know, the other girl from the other side of the tracks who didn't take dance all the time. And I was basically at the same level performing uh-huh. they didn't like yeah. that very much so oh yeah um I, I I hit a lot of resistance I heard a lot of I heard a lot of you know back talk and smack and mm. then of course I like ended up with a boyfriend I don't know how that had happened but I ended up with mm-hmm. a boyfriend who was very jealous and was like you can't wear your uniform to school and you can't do those things because that's oh too gosh. short I don't like it and so I was very afflicted with both sides like it's like yeah. I have to wear my uniform to school because that's what I'm supposed to do I'm going to get in trouble right from my advisor if I don't and, you know and it just got to be like a struggle for me so then I danced and I loved it but I didn't dive in as much as I could have which yeah. really hurts my heart now thinking back you know because it's like yeah. would it could have should have kind of thing but I can't regret it because all the things that I learned from Holly and the things that I learned from even cheer advisors, you know, just kind of propelled me. But I did love, I I mean, I did love it. I wish that I would have believed in myself a little bit more to be able to go farther. I think it's so interesting because when you're in high school and that just feels so like your whole world, right? It's everything. And you're insecure. If you guys have seen my post about this or you're watching on YouTube, you'll be seeing a picture of Jen. So you will see, you will laugh that she said that she was had was awkward and had braces and glasses and felt awkward because Jen is absolutely beautiful. Even the most beautiful girls feel insecure. Grass is always green seems like on the other side. So let me interject this. I did not have a big body. When I say I was like Herculean size, I always had very broad shoulders and Mm -hmm. a small waist. And I was no joke, a size like two to four. So I was not a big girl, right? But (laughs) in my mind, because my breasts were already at that age, Mm -hmm. almost a triple D, I had two gargantuan breasts. And that was always my issue was wearing clothes that would fit me, but they were always too big. So I always looked in pictures bigger than I was, yes. you know, 
and because the clothes couldn't fit or I was embarrassed about my, my bus line and always got the wrong kind of um, attention from the guys at school or from the wrong guys that I didn't want the attention from, you know, like the ones that I did, it was like, well, Hey, you're not looking over here. What's going on? (laughs) Right. Exactly. That was always a, that was always a struggle. And even through my years at Disney dancing, you know, you're trying to dance in a ballet show. It's impossible because most of the leotards are backless and they don't yeah. allow for a bra. And I'm like, well, yeah. guys, <laughs> yeah, this is not yeah, that we need to, to five show. We need to keep it a family <laughs> show. And yeah. so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, and you know, even for me, when I was um, a professional acrobat, um, I, now my boobs would go up and down. Like when I was doing a lot of shows and a lot of hours, my boobs would get smaller. And then when our, like when we were done with our summer contract or whatever, my boobs would get a little bit bigger, but mainly for me as an acrobat, I felt self-conscious with my lats because I, so I always had to do the same thing with clothes where I'd have to get something that fit my lats but yeah, then it yeah. would hang wide on me. And so it was such a weird, and then I always would look at pictures. I, I would look at pictures of myself and be like, oh, that doesn't look very good. Now, like in a, yeah. a unitard, you could see that I was thin under thin. those lats. Yeah. But if you have anything as large at the top, your boobs or your lats or your shoulders, it is very difficult to like to have that. A silhouette. Oh, hey. Yeah. yeah. I actually have a silhouette. And then, yeah. And that was the thing. Like, and you know, thankfully later in the late nineties, um, a lot of the clothing, especially when I started to gain some weight, a lot of the clothing fell into that category that was very, um, body conscious friendly, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess yeah. it was very acceptable to wear the moo's and it was getting more acceptable to wear like the baby doll dresses that kind of fit right under your bust line. And then it was yeah. the your waist and then a little bit of your waist and then, you know, kind of flared out. So that was good. But yeah, you know, and other times it was like, I just, I just continued to layer with gigantic sweatshirts. Yeah. Well, and so when do you think was the first time that you felt uh, like you compared yourself? Was it when you got into cheerleading or was it before? I remember my mom taking me to get a bra because she didn't realize that I needed one. Because as I said before, I always wore gigantic sweatshirts. So when (laughs) I had to go to a dance, we were trying on dresses and she noticed how I was spilling out of all of the size two, size fours, that I literally had to go to a size 10, 12 and then wow. have it taken in. And so she thought, well, maybe we need to get you a bra. And she said something, and I know that it wasn't an, an intentional thing because my mom also has large breasts, but it just was something that kind of struck me. Mm-hmm. And so when I started going to school the next couple of days wearing this bra, obviously things were fitting a little better, you know, cause mm-hmm. I had some support. Um, and I just noticed that people started whispering. And it was that uncomfortable feeling. And it's like, are they talking about me? I wasn't sure. Mm. And then you're not sure. And you start to freak yourself out. And, you know, everything in your subconscious is just like, just don't look, just don't look, just don't look. But, you know, it really got to be like the whispers got to be notes. And then I found a note or I heard some comments or then somebody would have, you know, some jerk person would come up and be bold and go, oh, hey, I heard this, blah, blah, blah. You know, and kids are just so terribly mean and they don't think about the repercussions later in life or what it's going to cost someone. And I mean if had any of them actually just had a conversation with me, mm-hmm. they would have realized that I, that is not the person that I, that they were right. making me. Out. I think it was really around seventh or eighth grade that mm-hmm. that kind of started to ramp up. But then in high school was like, high school was treacherous. It's always been treacherous. Yeah. Well, and that's, I, and girls are so mean. And I talk about that a little bit mm-hmm. in the episode where kind of talk about my body image stuff. I feel like it's crazy because as a girl, when you get boobs or you see a woman with, with, 
progress, you're like, oh, okay. Like when I get older, I'm going to get boobs. And that's like, it seems kind of fun, right? Like, okay, that's like the next thing I'm yeah. going to step into. And I know a lot of women who were self-conscious, who didn't have boobs, who never got them, especially being in dance. You know, there was a lot of girls who were very flat and continued mm-hmm. to stay flat. It does make you self-conscious when you're that younger age because people get jealous. People are also jealous and they don't know there it's something different. And so they're right. like, wait a minute, what's, what's this? It's definitely difficult. I share in my episode 17 about the first time that I remember, and I was about 12, and I went to a junior high youth group. We went to the lake. And I remember I went with my mom to Mervyn's to pick out a new bathing suit because I needed a one piece because it's, you know, youth group. Yeah. There was this tie dye blue one piece. And I was like, oh, it's so cute. I love it. And so I was so excited to wear it. And I had a pool in my backyard. I wore bikinis all the time. I was tiny. I was like probably like a size like zero one at yeah. the time. And, um, and I remember this girl who was much tinier than me takes off her cover. And I, and I knew her, she wasn't like a good friend or anything, but, and she was a kind girl actually, but she took off her cover and she had the same suit on. And I was oh. like, oh. and I already had boobs and mm-hmm. I felt, and I was starting to get hips already. And so I've lost already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and she just still basically had a boy, a little girl, little girl body. Yeah, and, she hadn't been pretty at all. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and, but that was the first time. And I remember thinking, oh, she looks better in her suit than I do. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, and I think back to that and I think, gosh, I'm so sad that that's the case. I'm so sad that that is because I look at my nieces and little girls um, who are in my life and I think I don't want them to have that. It is hard. It's hard to convince ourselves to to really give ourselves that, you know, trust in that this is good. Keep going. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, and the enemy starts young and it's just like, but, and it's a good reminder because we definitely all still battle it. And it's, and it's smart to remember with your words, the younger generation that you're around what you say, you know, to make sure your words are lifting and because it's a hard time, let's all remember how hard high school, junior high was. (laughs) I agree. 100%. Hey guys, I'm here with my hubby. And as you know, we are super passionate about equipping people to thrive in marriage. One of the best ways you can do that is by having premarital counseling. We did it and it was super helpful in learning how to communicate and dive into subjects that should be discussed before you reach the altar. Many couples are finding it unnecessary or are not plugged into a good church where they can find good counsel in that area. Or they just think counseling is for couples with problems and that couldn't be further from the truth. We are excited to announce a new project we are working on. We will be offering an online premarital guidance course that you can purchase and access on your schedule. We think everyone should go into marriage with the right tools to thrive and not just survive. We don't have a launch date just yet, but stay tuned to hear more on the podcast, which by the way, will now be airing an episode every week. And now back to the show. Was Disney your first professional job? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, um, my aunt actually called and just saw a line outside. She had no idea what it was for. So she called me and said, uh-huh. Hey, I, I think you should come out here. Mine, uh-huh. mine, mine, I was living in Lake Elsinore, which is super far away. Yeah. And so my mom actually drove me out there, just dropped me off. I jumped mm-hmm. in line for, I didn't even know what I was auditioning for, but I just saw an audition line and it ended up being fantastic. Uh-huh. So I stayed there and I got my first job in Fantasmic that night. So, um, that was an exciting moment. And that was for me, where I, one was 
battling my own self standing in line because I'm like, these people are probably professional dancers. They've danced their whole lives. And I'm only here because I just love it. And I'm wearing this awful Marika, like two-tone brown, black, like one side was black, one side was brown. Then the chest was black on the other side, you know, blocked out like leotard <laughs> yes. that I was super proud of at the time, you know, and all these other girls were yeah. in like crop tops and like, you know, professional dance clothes from the nineties, you know, where they're like in leggings and, you know, trunks and things like that. And here I am just like completely covered up to my neck. (laughs) Well, you know, this is me. Um, and then when I got in, um, I, you know, there were so many people and I was so overwhelmed. Um, it just, it kind of gave me that, like, should I just go and leave right now or just just Mm. go home? And I, and then I thought, no, I'm just, you know, I'm going to see what it's like and have fun. I'm just going to have fun. And that's when I, when I kind of switched that in my mind and tell myself, just go have fun. Who cares? You're probably not going to get hired anyway. Mm -hmm. It's being a pessimist, but it's also being the one, that's the only way that I was going to stay and get through it. Right. Right. And as I went through the dance call, I mean, the, as you know, and, and, and for those of you out there that don't, when you go through the first, you know, Disney dance calls back in the day, it was this cute character cut, they called it. And it was like, da, 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 you know, it's like zippy dee yeah. And you're just doing like wizards and little like, yeah. you know, step turns and, and very easy, basic steps, but it has to be sharp. It has to be precise and, you know, and very, you know, overly animated. Yeah. And being the introvert at the time, <laughs> I knew how to do that. But I didn't always do that because I thought that was going to draw more attention to myself. Yeah. But I thought, well, if this is the place to use it, this is the place to use it because Disney needs, you need to draw attention to yourself at this yeah. moment. And so I just kind of shut off all my emotions uh-huh. and I went for it. And, um, and I ended up getting that. And so once I started working at Disney and once I started getting into the costumes and I was actually, you know, friends with lots of lovely, um, lovely roles there and, mm-hmm. um, got to play, um, a vast, you know, variety of like costumes that I was, I was involved in. Um, some were very revealing mm-hmm. where like my entire abdomen was showing at, at times, like during the Latin mm-hmm. grade. Oh my gosh. That was like, <sighs> I'm so out of my comfort zone. This is so hard for me to dance and perform and then sit yeah. where I, I was like, I don't want any creases. You know, I want to sit straight. I don't want to have anything fall over my costume, you know, well, in Aladdin parade, having two pieces and you're yeah. taught and you're having a large chest. Yeah. yeah. It was freaking me out. I was like, dancing down the parade route. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, imagine, imagine in your mind, if you will, it's basically like in the 1990s when you had like the short sleeved crop top, right? It was like yep. a bra top. And then I had literally gold bikini bottoms on with mm-hmm. a, a skirt that wrapped around, but was completely open in the front. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm dancing down the street in a bikini. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be real. Yeah. To all of Southern California and the world that yeah. is coming to, to watch and coming for vacation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> horrible. But, you know, actually getting the job and, and going there, it pushed me out of my comfort zone. It learned how to be yeah. more vocal. That's where I became, um, but that's where I became me. You know, I, I, um, I came out of it and it was hard to, you know, again, like you said, seeing these other girls, they take off their cover, they take off their thing and they've got these amazing, incredible dance bodies and they've got muscles and, you know, they've got like a six pack and you're just like, uh-huh. oh, I'm a little like doughy in the middle, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. I'm still a size four, you know, like yeah. that's my mindset. I'm still small. I can still put my clothes on in the morning and, you know, but it, it does trick you. It really does trick you. And it takes you on this like mind game. Mm-hmm. It really does. And it's just in your face all day, every day. It's just an opportunity at any point for the enemy to really just totally come in. Totally. Oh, wow. You don't look good in that. It is so crazy to me when I think about the times in my life. Like I think 
man, I wish I was as big as I was when I thought I was too big 15 years ago. I I forever had a picture of myself on the refrigerator. And I said, remember when you thought you were fat? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) You know, and that was during like my weight loss phase when I was going back, trying to lose some weight because it was just like, yeah, that's stupid. Don't kill yourself over it to try to be that again. It's just more Mm -hmm. in the mindset, just be healthy and and be happy in your body and who you are. That's Mm -hmm. a really hard thing for women to do for themselves. We cannot give ourselves grace in that way. No, because it's, it's hard to look and say, this is good. Well, in our media, just putting up magazines for our whole lives. I remember looking at models, Claudia Schiffer, Paulina Porotskova, mm-hmm. all these beautiful models, these guest yeah. models, all these now quote unquote Victoria's Secret models, if you will, you know, and they're perfectly beautiful bodies. So those women do have great bodies because they're walking a runway. But back mm-hmm. in the day with us, when there was a little bit of editing, those women were beautiful, but you know, they, they take those magazines and they stretch and pull and tuck and nip. And, you know, there's a whole lot of that going on too, because I'm pretty sure that those people were not touched that much by the grace of God. I mean, yes, you were getting a little, those ladies, but not that much to where you became a different level than me. And I think that was my problem is I looked at them as if they were on this pedestal for the longest time and thought that's Mm -hmm. for a woman. That's what everybody likes. That's what I have to be. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And with that, we have hormonal changes. You're dancing at Disney. You're battling with all of these things in your mind, but having fun. Let's talk about how was it once you had kids? Were you able to get back into shape after you had your children? With both of my kids, I have a son now that's 17. He's graduating senior. (laughs) And um, with him, I was dancing at the time in the electrical parade. And I danced in court, which, you know, those dresses are probably about 25 pounds Mm -hmm. because of the battery packs. And I danced with him. I think I made it a month. And then I was put into a role where I had to just stand and look pretty (laughs) and leak off the parade, if you know what I mean. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And um, where- We're not going to give away any Disney Mm -hmm. magic here, but but you could probably (laughs) gather that- some of the characters, uh, well, we've both been very good friends with, um, right. you would recognize. So, correct. So <laughs> then I was placed, um, to just look pretty for the last couple of weeks. And then, then finally it was getting harder for me to, you know, get into the apparatus that I was required to climb. My belly was just too big. So, um, that was fine. And I still was wearing all of my own regular clothes, my own regular jeans. Wow. Like I just fit into regular clothes. It wasn't a big deal because I was dancing full time. I was going mm-hmm. to school for, um, hair and makeup full time. So I was a busy girl. I was up at six o'clock in the morning. I was going to bed at midnight and I had a baby in my body and it was like, Oh my gosh, whatever. So, um, I, uh, then with my second daughter was kind of when I noticed my changes because in between my son and my daughter, who's now four, she's 14, uh, will be 14. Um, there was that span of time. So after I had given birth to Cooper, I noticed things started to change. And I noticed How that old were you when you gave I birth? was 30 with him. Okay. I was 30. Oh, Lord. Um, <laughs> it's such a weird thing to say that I was 30 and he's graduating high school. It's like, where did the time go? Sorry. Um, so when I was, when I was 30, you know, already that's a progressive time in, in a woman's life where you feel yeah. this is Major where a lot of things come in. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a baby and then being being able to be so active and be so fortunate and, and to be so healthy the entire time um, going into that, I had the greatest pregnancy. I was never sick. 
I didn't have mm-hmm. any like serious weight gain. Um, I, actually the doctors kept saying, I think you can put on some more weight, you know, you can put on some more weight. And it wasn't an intentional thing that I was trying yeah. not to lose, you know, not you to were eat, you were eating, weight. you were just yeah, oh, was yeah. I eating? Holy moly, in and out, everything. I mean, I just, my metabolism was just like on hyperdrive right then. Um, So then I thought, well, okay, that's fine. But then I started to get headaches after he was born. And I noticed that it was really hard for me in the very beginning to start breastfeeding him. And I thought, okay, wait a minute. You're telling me that I lug these huge gargantuan boobs around (laughs) my whole life. And now I can't breastfeed what they're intended to do. I cut them off a long time ago. <laughs> I was so furious that I was like, you're joking, right? This is a joke. And then I had to, I had to go in and get a lactation consultant and she came in and, you know, they get all up in your business, man. They don't even introduce themselves. It's like, rah, 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 right? nice to meet you. What's your name? Okay. As you are holding my breast in your hand. But um, she thought I might have had, um, you know, like a block duct or this kind of thing or that kind of thing. So we went through this, you know, a a whole round of testing and whatnot. And all the while, my poor baby, I'm trying to breastfeed him. And he's, I mean, it got to a point where I was having to then, I had to switch to formula. And I was so heartbroken because it's like, oh, I want that moment. I I, I don't want to be ripped of this. Like this does not make me feel like an adequate mother. And I looked down and I, I mean, I have this love for vampires, but when I looked down and I saw that my child who was suckling on my breast came out with a mouthful of blood, I was like, okay, we're done. We're done. We're done. Can't give you anything. And you are literally sucking blood out of my breast. This is not okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then he got thrush and all these other things happened. And it was just like, he's miserable. Um, so I, I kind of went to the doctor and he said, you know, I just don't feel right. And she's like, well, you would just probably have the baby blues. It's, yeah. it's okay. Because you know, that happens. You get a lot of people can't breastfeed. And I'm like, but this mm-hmm. is a joke, right? I mean, just through the gamut, I had gone through testing through this time. Um, about a year later, um, about 18 months later, I'd say, you know, um, later I got to a point where even with my husband, I couldn't stand to be in the same room with him. He was like, my red flag. Like he was the, I was the bull and he was the red flag for me. Every time he walked in the room, whether or not, you know, he liked it or not, I, I just was angry and Um, and it could have been even like, I wanted to share something joyful and something that happened to me that mm -hmm. day in my mind. But the minute he walked in, it was like a trigger for me. And I thought, this is insanity. This is the person that I have been in love with since the day I met him. Yeah. Um, why do I not like him? So that was like even more cause for concern. And mm-hmm. I called the doctor again. I said, listen, something's going on in my brain. I am hearing myself talk to myself. I don't like what it's saying. I am. I, I feel like I'm going yeah. crazy. I almost wanted to like check myself into a facility because I thought like, somebody was just put me on a 5150 hold. I am crazy right now. Like this is nuts. Well, and it's so but good it was, that you noticed that something right. was off. Right. But it was, it was hard. And finally, Finally, I went back to my OBGYN, believe it or not. And I just told her, I said, dude, this is what's <laughs> how we talk to each other, dude, <laughs> what's going on. I said, I can't yeah. even believe it. And she just was like, well, then let me just run some tests. If you're, if your other doctors couldn't find anything, let me run some tests. Let me see what I can find. And she calls me back and she goes, Hey, I'm just going to send you in for an MRI real quick. I want to see what's going on. Maybe there's something we're missing. And I go, okay, great. So she sends me some blood work and she calls me back like immediately. And she said, Hey, your numbers are a little bit off. And I just, that's when she, you know, sent me in for the MRI and she goes, so I don't understand why they would say, you know, nothing was going on. They should have seen this. And I said, well, they didn't. So I'm glad you did. So let's figure out what it is. And then I'll report back. She goes, or I could just, you know, do it for you. So I just went with her since she's the one that kind of realized that something was going on. I felt more comfortable knowing that she was going to be, you know, inspector gadget on and all and and Mm -hmm. like find the root source of it. And so 
upon, you know, going, getting that MRI, you know, if anyone's had an MRI, it, you don't get a result of the day of. So you just yeah. go in thinking, okay, I'll wait a couple of days, maybe a week, I'll get these results. Mm-hmm. And so I go in, I remember coming home, I had my son, he's 18 months old. It was plain as day. I sat him down from walking in the door. I sat at my computer desk. I put him on the floor. He's playing with his trucks and his trains. And I remember thinking in that moment, you know, you have those like God moments where the sun's shining through like the blinds and it's laying on your child and you're just so thankful. And you're like, Oh my gosh, he's so beautiful. And I'm so thankful. Lord, thank you so much for blessing me. Even though there's so much trial and tribulation right now, like I had to take that moment and go, thank you for this. I just, I can't wait to know what the answer is so that I can fix this and mm. just kind of get back to being me because yeah. I was renouncing God in so many ways. But at that moment, it almost felt like there was a calm over me. Yeah. And at that moment, I got a phone call and it was my doctor. And she's like, Hey, it's Miss Dr. K. And I go, Oh, hey, did I forget something? I thought maybe I forgot the baby's toy or something in her office. And she goes, No, I actually got your MRI results. And I was like, Oh, my heart sank. Yeah. Like, that That's doesn't like happen. Calling that doesn't so happen. Quick. <laughs> oh God, that doesn't happen. Yeah. And I said, what happened? She goes, well, I mean, she just basically stole, you know, told me, she said, you know, you have a tumor um, and it's kind of big, but um, well, it's the biggest one I've seen. She goes, I've, and I'm not real familiar with this, but I've already contacted a couple other doctors, endocrinologists. They said it's fine, but I did make you an appointment. Can you go tomorrow morning to see this endocrinologist? Cause he thinks he can control it. And I was like, yes, yes. She said, yeah. she said, great. So I called Dean and I was like, oh my gosh, you need to come home. <laughs> yeah. Really bad news. And he came home from the fire department. I was crying and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I have cancer. I have a tumor in my breast. Uh-huh. Like she didn't say where, you know, oh, and I, cause I can't breastfeed and I have this problem. It's all in my breast. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have breast cancer. There's going to be something crazy. And my brain is just spinning. Oh my gosh. Um, and so long story short, you know, next day we go to see this endocrinologist. He gives me this medication that says it's going to shrink this tumor. And I'm thinking, what? what is happening? Like, why, why am I taking medication? I don't understand. How is it going to shrink it in my breast? And he goes, well, it's not in your breast. It's in your brain. And my jaw hit the floor. I was in tears. I'm like, wait a minute. I have a brain tumor. (laughs) I have a brain tumor. You know, I'm freaking out. Like I have a brain tumor. I turned into Sally Fields from, you know, still Magnolia. I have so much to do. I have to get everything in order. I'm going to die. That was my yeah. first initial thought. I'm going to die. I have an 18 month old. I have a brain tumor. I don't have a living trust. I don't have a will. I don't have anything set up. I, oh my gosh. I have so much to do. Give me the pills. I got to go, you know? And uh-huh. literally I took the pills. I went home. He said to start with half a dose. I was vomiting you guys so badly that night. My body was fully rejecting it. And I just kept pushing through trying to take the next dose, spending the entire night in the bathroom next to the Oh my God. Toilet throwing up, sleeping on the floor. Three days. I did not leave the bathroom for three days. I slept in there and I laid on the floor. I had a bed in there. I had my water in there. And oh I was my barfing for three days. And I'm like, third day, I'm looking down and my br- my ribs on the outside were physically bruised from the sheer force of clenching my muscles so many times. I was oh bruised outside. And I thought, no, I cannot do this. I There has to be another alternative. Yeah. So Dean and I called the doctor and he said, well, you can't, you can't just stop the medicine cold Turkey. It's something you have to continue to do. And I said, I can't take it anymore. I can't function as a human. Yeah. It's not okay. I'm throwing up. And then, then they realized that, that I was consistently throwing up. So he right. said, okay, I didn't stop the medication because unfortunately we're going to have to try something else. So my husband went to work that next day. My mom came over to stay with me. And this is such a godsend because he happened to be down 
doing a uh, water drill at the port and he ran into another firefighter who had a malignant brain tumor and he was just leaving for his leave. And my husband told him, oh my gosh, my wife was just diagnosed with a brain tumor and we're looking Mm -hmm. to try to use medication, but that wasn't working. And now we need to probably have it removed and find a neurologist that can, you know, a neurosurgeon that can fix that for us. And he's like, oh my gosh, I have the best one. Let me give you his name and number. You have to give him, you know, months in advance because it takes so long to get an appointment. But here's his information. Run right now. Tell your wife to like overnight. Oh, right now. Yeah. Right now. Right now. So literally Dean ran up back to the building, sent me the number. I got on the phone. My mom helped me. We, we over, you know, uh, overnight, you know, you have to get a courier and come to your house. That was back in the day. We didn't have just, you know, here, let me just send you a screenshot. Um, because computers weren't as advanced. So I had to take my actual DVDs, put them in an envelope, get a courier and send them off. And the courier took them overnight to, or that day, same day to the offices. That next morning I received a phone call from their office stating that they received my films and that it was good. And I was like, okay, good. That was a comfort because I had asked for confirmation Mm -hmm. upon receival. And, um, and she said, and actually we have an appointment for you tomorrow. Is that possible for you to come in? We have an appointment tomorrow. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Wait, wait. Hank said it takes months to get an appointment. How, what, what what happened? And I asked her, I said, wait, did somebody just cancel? She goes, well, no, but the doctor saw your scans and we feel that it's important to get you in. Okay. You guys, that point, when you get two doctors, you get an MRI back the same day, you're not being told very much. Then you get your scans looked at by a neurologist or a neurosurgeon who's like, yep, we have an appointment for you, but normally we don't take you for three months. Um, that freaked me out. And the last thing she said to me was, please don't do anything super active. Don't bend over. Don't sneeze. Uh, Oh my gosh. What does that mean? What does, can somebody please tell me what does that mean? Don't bend over. I have an 18 month old. (laughs) I have an 18 month old. A husband who works as a firefighter who's gone all night and all day. So I had to call out from Disney and tell them I was sick, but it was like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm sick. I have a brain tumor, but I don't know why I can't work, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. It, just, it was so baffling to me. So I go up and I meet with this neurosurgeon. He seems so cool. His name is Dr. Daniel Kelly. And he was from, at the time, UCLA Medical Center. And my mom's doctor too. He's amazing. He's amazing. I am. I mean, without having a love affair for anybody else other than yeah. my husband, I love this man. He's and incredible. He is. And his bedside manner is amazing. And we were sitting in the meeting and he was saying, oh yeah, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Totally reassuring me. Like it's no big deal. Everybody else is freaking you out. It's no big deal. You're good. Um, but then sitting down, having to sign like a do not resuscitate order, or how do you want to go? Because the death could possibly happen on the table during the surgery. Do you want to have surgery? And all these questions are coming at me. And all I can think about is I have an 18 month old at home. I have nothing prepared. I am not prepared. God, I don't know what to do. And he said, let me go check to see you. And I said, well, I want to have surgery. I want to have it taken out if we can. Mm-hmm. He said, let me go talk to my, my assistant, figure out a date. I'll come right back to you guys. Sign these papers, have a moment, take a moment to yourselves to talk. I'll give you a minute. He's walking out just out the door. I mean, just her, her desk is like literally an eye shot. I can see mm-hmm. them and I can hear them. And my husband and I are discussing like about the will and how to do not resuscitate. Do I sign it? Uh, do not resuscitate order. Do I want to, you know, all that you just don't, re- you're not ready for that. And the minute he was talking about, I could hear them talking about, well, we got to get her in soon. And he, and she said, she, his assistant looked up at him and said, Dr. Kelly, the only thing you have is like this week, but that's the week you're supposed to be in Hawaii with your family. And, and he, and he said, okay, then call my wife and cancel the trip and tell her we have to move it. And 
I have to get this woman into surgery. I was just like in that tears. like gives me chills yes. right now. Because people don't do that. People no. don't do that. Doctors He's don't so do that. Kind. He is so He's kind. so compassionate. Ugh. And like I said, my mom had, so my mom had the same kind of brain tumor as Jen did. For me, it was such a weird, uncommon to me this procedure. Like that, who ever heard of a pituitary adenoma? I don't know. Yeah. What is that now? And then all of a sudden, the more and more I researched it, it was like, oh, this is super common. Well, it's really not. But why is there not more information readily available yes. for women who have this? Yes. So with Dr. Kelly, he, he scheduled us out. He got us going. Um, you know, he came back in instantly. I signed the paperwork because I was like, I trust this man implicitly. I got my surgery and, you know, life since then has been just great. I had a snafu about three weeks after the surgery where I had an artery burst. I mean, that was a small little snafu. Oh my gosh, an artery. <laughs> you know, leading from the nose small now, thing, ears, just a little thing, a little bit, you know, I'm home with my 18 month old now or whatever he is at that age. Um, yeah. And so from like diagnosis to surgery date, it was like, no joke, you guys, a whirlwind of like three weeks, three weeks. It was craziness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I basically had that one where I went you know, home and then I ended up getting, um, like I said, the artery burst and, um, I, I was my first day back alone with the baby. My husband had wow. just gone back to work and I had, you know, beautiful family members all helping me neighborhood reaching up just the whole thing it was great so it was long it was a long journey it was something that um you know just changed me and I, I, going back to disneyland after that i'm just going to go into that just going back into disneyland after that it was eye opening for me to try to like dance now knowing that i have a different body i have a different way because as soon as that happened i put on weight mm-hmm. um i couldn't understand why i was putting on weight i didn't know what was going on Especially since the tumor was gone. Right. So like in your mind, you would think I have a tumor in my, I have a, I have a tumor that's messing me up. Now it's gone. So now I should be great. (laughs) Yeah. No. And and really like that during that time, and I didn't preface it before, I'm sorry. You know, during that time of being, before being diagnosed, I did start after I had the baby, I thought, oh, great. I'm going to be like bounced back right away. This is going to be great. I even joined Weight Watchers because I thought (laughs) just because I want to be on a good plan. I want to get healthy as soon as I can, even though I only gained like 22 pounds, you know, with my child. Um, I just want to be ready to go, you know, back in my Disney clothes. And um, each month, after I was putting on 10 pounds. So you can imagine I, I oh gained probably like 60 pounds wow. before I figured this out. And that is not me. I was like, what is happening? I'm turning into oh my like, gosh. you know, the Oompa Loompa. I'm blowing yeah. up quickly. I'm like Violet Beauregard, you know, it was horrible. <laughs> I'm turning into a blueberry. Awful. While you're, and we had you already gone back to Disney or were you still on like, well, Disney? after after I got, after I had gotten diagnosed and she was like, don't dance, don't do anything. That's when I kind of called quits. And then three weeks later I was in surgery. So for three weeks I had yeah. taken a leave, but I was dancing all the way up until that time. And my costumes were getting a little snug and they were, you know, not fitting me as nicely. And, mm-hmm. um, luckily I knew enough of the ladies and the seamstresses and they were super kind to me. They would just kind of let it out or find me another one that would fit and make yeah. it work, you know, or I would just, I mean, I, I took, I got so, so desperate that I started to wear like a bra and then I would duct tape myself down and then put another bra on and duct tape myself down. And then I put a leotard on and then I would duct tape my waistline just to try to hold myself in so that I could fit into my costumes. And you know, the things you do, the struggles you do behind eyes, because I didn't want the girls in the dressing room to see that. And so that I'd come out with my robe on and, you know, or I'd come out with my costume on because I'd go in the bathroom and change. And that was never me. I was never afraid to change any of the girls, but 
Well, and you generally did. So for anybody listening, um, there's men's and women's changing rooms and they're big, giant open rooms with mirrors and little shelves for you to put stuff on and benches so you can sit down. And then there's a bathroom with showers and things like that. And there are stalls, so you could go in, but almost nobody does just because. Well, and they kind of encouraged it because they wanted the restrooms being used for what they were intended for, not taken up by people changing their clothes. Exactly. They weren't very, they weren't very conscientious about that time for people who were no. overly about their body. <laughs> so what was the, did you figure out what the reason was that you were gaining weight so rapidly? So it was, it was a prolactinoma, which basically was feeding off of the prolactin that was present in my body. Um, mm-hmm. so it was a tumor that was feeding off of when I was, uh, basically my body thought I was still pregnant after having a baby, which is oh, weird. So the entire weird. time. In the last month of pregnancy, you kind of put on like 10 pounds. That's usually mm-hmm. how it goes. So each time, each month, that's what my body was doing. Oh, we have to put on another 10 pounds because we're not, we're not there yet. We still have the baby on board. Oh, we're, we're it's like a broken record. Boop, 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 boop. And I was on repeat, repeat. It was like Groundhog's Day in my brain. So <laughs> um, it just didn't understand because I couldn't, I didn't get to have a natural vaginal birth. I had to have an emergency cesarean section. Mm-hmm. So that I think was what triggered it. And she said, I think your hormones were just kind of wackadoodle at the time. Anyway, you already had the brain tumor going in to the pregnancy. Oh, yeah. So when I got into the UCLA medical center and I was laying there, I remember being berated by the staff and their, they were doing rounds in the morning of all their medical, you know, up and comers, their residents. And it felt like I was in an episode of Grey's Anatomy where they're like, Jennifer, you know, Jennifer Thompson age, da, 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 you know, <laughs> they're giving me the whole thing presented with this, had a brain tumor removal. We have it for testing because I donated it all to science to test and see if it would stain against other cancers or whatnot. Um, and when I got the news, I was nervous because originally they said there was a mass in my brain at the MRI that looked solid. And usually when it's a benign tumor, it has a little ring of water around it. That's how they kind of okay. know. And mine was just a solid mass. So that's where they all were freaking out, thinking that I had this gigantic four millimeter ball in my head, Mm -hmm. you know, of solid mass in my head. So that was what the whole concern was. And really it was just pressing on my um, pituitary gland, which that's Mm -hmm. the master gland. It's that little tiny P at the base of your neck and in the brain, in your brain. And it just was wrecking havoc on my whole body. So when he went in and removed it, he had to go transphenoidal. So he went through my nose into the brain. And he said, as soon as I touched your skull cavity, I didn't with a laser because they went in transphenoidal and and all with like technology now. Um, He said, I made a little cut and he goes, I barely had to touch it. And it shattered. He said, that's why we were worried because you were a ticking time bomb ready to go off. Had I fallen hit my head, anything removed, I would have been lights out. It would have been oh like gosh. whatever. And the, the tumor was centered between my carotid arteries, which it was pronounced, it was uh, presenting leaning towards the right side. So it was closing. It was almost closing off one of the carotid arteries and oh you all know medical, you kind of need those blood flow to stay yeah. alive. So small, small thing. So the, the weight gain though, was, did it have anything to do with the brain? with the brain tumor, they, they thought it was because you had it in there while you had the baby and because you had a C-section and like a C-section basically sometimes causes issues because your body isn't like releasing everything like it normally does in a vaginal, right? Like hormones and stuff kind of flush. So yeah, you, you, 
and, you know, and it also, it's like a mind trickery because when you have a baby, you know, you're pushing and there's the aggression and you're like, ah, and then you got to push it out. I didn't have any of that. I was like sitting back with my, my cigarette and my champagne going, oh, are we done? Oh, great. Okay. Awesome. You know, yeah. so there was no strife. I mean, there was stress because obviously having your legs flung over your head and, um, you know, having your legs flung over your head and everybody cut up in your hoo-ha sticking probes and grabbing things and they're freaking out going, I lost the heartbeat. I lost the heartbeat. And that's all you're hearing. You're like, no, 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 no. Get, get the baby uh-huh. out. Get him out. Get yeah. him out now. Like get yeah. him out now. And then they paraded my entire family in the room and said, just say goodbyes. And I'm like, wait, what? Say goodbyes. You oh my guys gosh. think I'm going to die? Like, this is not good. So, you know, you're panicked, but you just don't get the same experience as having a vaginal birth, which is really right. hard, you know? And, and afterwards, that's why I think a lot of women who've had cesareans, and I think Brooke Shields was the one that wrote Down Came the Rain. It was a book about her having the baby blue severely and it affected her. And I think it was because she had um, cesarean section. You don't mm-hmm. have the full birthing flow. It's like how God like designed something. for your body to be yeah. able to bounce back and cope. Yeah. 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 And, and so you don't have that whole process. So you just kind of like, wait, something's missing. And it just feels like something's consistently missing. So I think that was, that was hard for me, but you know, after having the brain tumor and having the the weight gain, um, having it removed, I thought, okay, this is going to make such great strides. It, it really didn't. And I, I mean, I was able to go back and dance, but I never really fully returned. I think after you have a baby anyway, your body just changes so much yeah. that you're never going to go back to the amazing size you were. Right. If you and are, age I mean, too. More like age yeah. changes, like age. we said. Now I'm like almost yeah. 33, you know, with my second child. And yeah. I was able to go back and dance, thank God. And luckily after the after the you know surgery removal, um, my goal was that I was gonna be able to have children. And that was one of the possibilities is that he said you may not ever be able to have a child again. So you may not be able to get pregnant because they were really baffled, like I said, with the doctors that were, you know, berating me about the Grey's Anatomy folk. They they just were convinced that I took, um, there's, they were, they were just stating, there's no way you could have held this baby this entire time with your condition and with standings. There's just no way you could have had this, um, this baby. And I said, okay, well, I don't know what to tell you guys. And I just, I was at a loss for words. They kept asking me all these questions and they were accusing me and saying, well, I don't believe you. You, you had to have done fertility. And I'm like, I don't even know the first thing about fertility. I know it's expensive, but I don't even know what it takes. Oh and I gosh. said, and if I have to sit down and tell you guys how I got pregnant, then I'm pretty sure you're not intended to be in medical school. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're not going back to the 80s. Thank you. <laughs> but, yeah. And you know, they were like, well, no, we don't, we're not saying that. And I said, because I basically just had sex with my husband and I ended up getting pregnant. And I'm sorry, this is a point where you guys are going to have to understand that you're trying to leave it up to science. And I'm telling you that this is an act of God. I yeah. needed to have this baby in order to know that I had a brain tumor in my head that I had evidently had for over seven years prior to getting pregnant, which I didn't know about. I had to have this baby. So that was God's way of saying, hey lady, this is what's going on. Just yeah. so you know. But okay, I'm going to be faithful to yeah, your I'm desire. Gonna you, uh-huh. I'm going to give you this baby because I know that's what you want. I'm going to yes. send down this beautiful angel that's going to take mm-hmm. care of you and save your life. And mm-hmm. he has every day, you know, and he continues to do that. He's just, That's he's incredible. an amazing human. He's an amazing soul. Um, the weirdest part of it is that he's like a reproduction of my brother, which freaks me out. Mm-hmm. And I almost often joke that I gave birth to my brother, which I <laughs> sounds so bizarre, but his mannerisms yeah. and everything is just like my brother. So I'm thankful every day that, and my brother's passed on. He passed on in 2001. So my son and my brother never got to meet each other. Um, but I think they met in heaven before he was sent down mm-hmm. to me. So I think so too. 
Okay, friends, that's it for today. I'm truly grateful you joined us. If you think others would be encouraged by this episode, you can easily share it by taking a screenshot and adding it to your stories or feed. You can also text it to a friend. New episodes are available every Friday. Be sure to subscribe so you can catch them all. You can find and interact with me on Facebook and Instagram at Married Rogers Neighborhood, as well as my website, which I linked in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show today, I would so appreciate if you could take a second to rate and give a five-star review. It helps more people find it, which makes a huge difference for me and the podcast. Just remember, we are in this together. God loves you, and you are not alone. See you next time.